You know, it says in John chapter 20, it's a very interesting thing at the very end of his gospel. He makes a statement after all these things he's written. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples. And they're just not all recorded, which I think is an interesting thing because we don't realize that there were probably just a lot of things that Jesus did that didn't get recorded at all in these gospel narratives. And so this morning, I want us to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, which is a very interesting passage of scripture. And the gospel writer, again, must be picking and choosing which stories to record and which ones to include or exclude in his writing. So when this writer got down to write, he he had to kind of do an edit and say, well, that and where am I going to place this? And for what reason do I have this part coming next? So when Luke includes six to seven sentences about two sisters, Mary and Martha. You really have to ask a little bit why. And we're going to look at that as we go through this passage. Is there a reason that he places this story after the Good Samaritan and, and then before the disciples asking about how to pray? I kind of want to do what I've done the past few mornings and to walk through this passage of Scripture like I did as we looked at those other passages in Acts. And we'll just kind of walk through here and I'll, I'll read some of it and then make comments to you. But first, let's read the entire story in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening. To what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Well, let's begin as we look at the story and you'll see as we start in this very first verse that Jesus seems to be looking for spiritually open people. Luke 10:38 begins as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And this is the pattern that you find of Jesus. And that is that he would stay where he was invited. As Jesus and his disciples, it says, were on their way. This was a stop of a number on Jesus' path as an itinerant ministry. He would go from one village to another village. In this passage of Scripture, the village isn't even named, but we know a lot more details about Mary and Martha and even her brother Lazarus if you read John's Gospel. In fact, we find out in John's Gospel that this village that they had come to, that Jesus and his, his team, his disciples as a rabbi with his followers had come to, was the village called Bethany. And Bethany was just east of Jerusalem, on your way towards the Jordan. And so he comes to this village, and he's teaching, and he's preaching. Probably maybe the first time that he's ever come to this village called Bethany. There's two incidents in John that we're told about. One is there's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. And then in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, there's the anointing of Jesus by Mary. It would be, in a sense, tempting to kind of get sidetracked to talk a little bit more about some of the things in those stories. But I'm going to refrain from doing that today in order to stick more closely to the reason why Luke has included this story and only added what you see here. 
So I want to work with, in a sense, the material or these verses that Luke himself decided these were important. And this is what needed to be said in order for him to get across something, a point to teach something that Jesus seemed to be teaching. So Luke tells us simply that they were on their way and Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. It's very interesting. The the Greek verb means to receive or to welcome or to actually entertain as a guest. So when you read this word that Martha opened her home, it's this idea that she received him and welcomed him in as a guest. In fact, it's the same word that's used when Zacchaeus invites Jesus into his home. You remember, he's up in a tree and he's looking and Jesus talks to him and then he invites him in to his home, welcomes him. There's a passage in, in Acts chapter 17, 7, where Paul is in the city of Thessalonica. And as he's preaching and teaching, he did just the same thing that Jesus would do. He'd come into these places, he'd preach and teach. And it says that Jason welcomed Paul and his team into their home. In James chapter 2, 25, you see another incident. Rahab, it says, welcomed the Hebrew spies in her house when they came to Jericho. Remember in the Old Testament, that story, as they marched around the city, but before they did, they sent out spies in Rahab. It says, using the same word here in the Greek, welcomed them into her her home. So as you read the gospel accounts, you find that Jesus' life was intensely personal. It's amazing to me. You see, his pattern is that he would would meet with people, and he would teach, and he would preach, and he he would heal, and he was involved in ministry, but he was intensely personal with people. And it was his pattern to find a person who would receive him and welcome him. And then he would stay with that person in their home. Jesus gave the same instructions to his disciples. You can read in chapter 9 of Luke, verses 4 and 5, and chapter 10, verses 5 and 7. He has the same pattern. He says, what I want you to go to village to village. And when someone is open spiritually, and they not just are open spiritually to you, but they actually want you to engage themselves and, and, and have you stay with them so that they can be more involved and have you more involved in life than stay with them. And if they don't, just go on. And Jesus was looking for people who were open to him and his teaching. And he was looking for people who would welcome and receive him. And if there wasn't a home open to him, he'd just go on. If there wasn't a person hungry for spiritual food, willing to, to open their life to them, and Jesus would go on to the next village. He didn't have a block of hotels in, in his itinerary. He didn't have some um, personal uh, administrative assistant who was kind of going ahead arranging for places to stay. Jesus' ministry was based on a very personal encounter with people. And when he found that they were spiritually open, he spent time with them. It's really no different than it is today. It's the same way that Jesus wants to work with people. He's open to people. It's the pattern you see throughout history that Jesus makes himself available to any person who says, I want to know more about you. I want you more involved in my life. I want to invite you into not just my, my, um, my home, but into all areas of my life. Well, Martha was such a person. And I have to tell you, I think Martha gets a bad rap. Okay. Over the years, I believe her reputation has been rather tarnished. Mary is said to be the spiritual one, while Martha is said to be the what? Kind of practical one, busy around the house. And that's, that, you know, Mary, kind of, a, kind of a up in the sky kind of a person where Martha is just down to earth. Well, I have to tell you, that's not true. If you read this passage of Scripture, if you look at verse 1038, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. 
I mean, really, you might think that it would be Lazarus who would befriend Jesus and he would get to know Jesus a little bit. And then he would say to, to Martha and Mary, you know what, we want Jesus to come over to our house. But if you read this and the very first encounter, Luke tells us this very clearly, that it is Martha who comes to Jesus and says, would you come to my home? And you need to note this. It says in Scripture, it's her home. It's not Lazarus. It's not Mary's. It may be that Lazarus lived in a home very close to her, often as in that day. I remember my father growing up in, in the Chicago by uh, Wrigley Field and the Chicago Cubs. And anyway, um, <laughs> yes, I was infected at a young age. But they had family would all be, you know, some would live on a level above and all around. And so it's more than likely that Martha was living there and possibly a widow and it was her home. And then maybe her sister Mary was with her. And it could be that Lazarus was living somewhere close to them. But it's it's her home. And Luke's quite clear about this, that Martha is a very spiritually receptive person. Martha's a person who actually welcomed Jesus into not her life, but into her home, wanted to host him. She herself longed to be his disciple. And this is really not a story about one sister being practical and the other being spiritual. I don't think that's Luke's point. And we've missed it. If you were to go home and think good for Mary, she's spiritual. Bad for Martha, she's practical. Doesn't make sense, does it? God honors both those things. So if you look at verse 39, you see that Jesus had a sister called Mary. I mean, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. It's at this point we meet Mary. She's named after Moses' famous sister, Miriam. And what you have is this picture. While Martha is bustling around the house, busy as can be, here is Mary sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus probably sitting with all the disciples sitting around. So there's all these men and Mary. And the verb here is very important. It's a Greek verb. It's called parakathizo, which means to sit beside someone or to sit under, in a sense, someone. And so you have this picture of, the, of what is called the uh, um, Mary in a place of humility and attentiveness. Figuratively, the words at his feet is a common expression of one who is actually a disciple or student of a rabbi. And disciples would sit at the feet of their rabbis. It meant they were a learner of his ways. And the phrase had special meaning, and Luke was getting this point across. Mary, in a sense, was a woman who was a disciple and a learner sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I want you to note how this is used in other passages and other places in Scripture. Because this is a very important point that Luke is seeking to make. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, Paul stands before a crowd in Jerusalem, and he shares his testimony. He begins and he says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I was born there, but I was brought here. Paul really wants to make it clear. I'm no foreigner. He's standing in, in the, by the temple grounds. He's, he's sharing his, his story. And he wants to say, I'm one of you. And then he writes, uh, and then he says, and says, under Gamaliel, or literally in the Greek, the actual words are at the feet of Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers. Again, Paul wants to to make this very clear. He wasn't brought up by some second-rate teacher. He sat under the guidance of one of the most renowned teachers in, in the whole Jewish faith in that day. So that when he said, I sat at the feet, being trained, listening as a learner of this man Gamaliel, they would go, wow, 
He's a disciple. He's a true Jew. Luke 8.35 indicates the very same thing. You see in this story about this person who is um, possessed with, it says, with many demonic spirits. Or the word in Greek is really demonized. And when they came to Jesus, they had found the man from whom the demons had gone out. And the words again, sitting at Jesus' feet. It's not that he was just calm in this idea that Jesus is standing here and this guy is just sitting here and everyone else is standing around. The idea is that Jesus is teaching and he is sitting as a disciple and a learner and a follower of Jesus. And they're amazed that this one, I mean, they're amazed at this one who was so bizarre in his behavior and, and was so such an outcast of the Jewish faith could actually be sitting as a disciple. And so here's Luke's point. That Jesus would encourage Mary to sit at his feet as he taught was itself radical. If you note where the story is placed, Luke is seeking to show the radical nature of the gospel, how it goes against the culture. It follows right after the story of the Good Samaritan, another radical message that would rock the world of the religious establishment. Jesus says in the story of the Good Samaritan, think about it for a second. He's saying a Samaritan whom they consider to be half Jews, which in many ways are almost worse than Gentiles. Because if you get a half correct, but not fully, that's the worst. They're just a little bit off, but way off. And here is Jesus saying that a Samaritan was more godly or a better neighbor than a priest and a Levite. And to understand this, you must understand, as Luke continues this countercultural message, by placing Mary at the feet of Jesus as a disciple learner, one who is actually um, able to understand and to grow and to know and become like a disciple of Jesus in that time, you have to understand how radical that was in his culture. Women were exempt from the study of the Torah. Many rabbis actively discouraged women from learning. The Mishnah, which is a a commentary on on the Torah, includes some pretty cynical thoughts about women. It says, may the words of the Torah be burned. They should not be handed over to women. Rabbi Eliezer, Eliezer, in AD 90 said, if a man gives his daughter a knowledge of the law, it is as though he has taught her lechery. Josephus in Antiquity 16.164 noted that liturgical service was open to women, but that part given to the scribes' teaching was only open to men and boys. And here is Mary. Look at this. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Totally radical. Totally unheard of. I mean, it's an amazing thing, women, for you to understand that, that Jesus sees you with incredible gifts as, as one who is a learner, as a disciple, who is, and in, 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 he says, on par in that sense with, with men. That's an amazing, radical, transforming message. That is how much Jesus loves you. He believes in you. And what makes this even more interesting is because as you read through this story, in your, I have to tell you the same thing. There is a part of me that wants to say, Jesus, tell her to get up and help Martha. Right? I mean, honestly, isn't that your natural reaction? Let's go on. Luke 10, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that he had made. Now, you've got to imagine the scene. Martha is slaving away, getting things ready. You can see her running back and forth. As she's running back and forth, here's Mary. She runs back and she gets some plates in. Can you see her give the eye to Mary? Right? 
And then she has to kind of trip over and, and push Mary. You know, I, if you can, can you just see what she's doing? As she's running back and forth, and, and every once in a while, she, <sighs> she's just exhausted. Right? And finally, as Mary's so engrossed, it doesn't seem that she, it phases her a bit. Now she's giving the eye to Jesus. You know what I mean? And she's just, she's just coming apart at the seams. She has all these guests. She's got tons to do. She's cleaning up. She's got lots of cooking. She's setting the, the low table on that day, which you would sit around when you would have guests. She's getting that table all set. And you can imagine her thoughts. Where is my lazy sister? Sitting outside with the men rather than inside doing the work that needs to get done. How irresponsible. How many moms have felt that way? In her mind, a woman's place isn't sitting around when there's work to be done. She should be out here with me. And look at the word distracted. In, 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 in the original language, it means to be pulled apart or dragged away. That's what's going on. There, there's this thing that's occurring, and, and Jesus is teaching, and Jesus is speaking to the heart and souls of these people that are there, and she's pulled apart, dragged away in all these other things that she's about. She's, in a sense, busy and overburdened. And the verb tense indicates it's been a continued action. Her distraction has been going on for some time. It didn't just occur. It's been going on for a little bit of time. One commentator, Marshall, suggests that the implication is that Martha wished to hear Jesus, but was prevented from doing so by the pressure of providing hospitality. Luke 10, verse 40, the last part. Martha came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Can you see it? Lord, okay. And she's just finally fed up. Don't you care that my sister doesn't help? Tell her to get up. Tell her to help me. She's at her breaking point. The pressure is far more than she can handle. Okay, Rabbi, I invited you over. Mr. Spiritual Know-Everything. Don't you see how stressed I am and how lazy my sister is? Don't you care? Don't you? Come on, tell her to do something, right? And she comes to Jesus and she interrupts his lesson. And what I find is interesting is she doesn't rebuke her sister in front of Jesus. You notice that? She didn't come to, to Mary and say anything. She seems to be rebuking Jesus, one, for not caring. And she expected him to catch her eye and see her predicament and order Mary to help out, to kind of catch his eye as he walked by and go, you know, Mary, don't you think you maybe should get up and help your sister Martha? Don't you feel the same way? Just a bit. Like, come on, Jesus. She should be helping her, right? Poor Martha. Now, I think at this point, Martha, in my opinion, gets a bit audacious. I mean, this takes guts. But then again, think about it. Whenever you are focused on me, my, and mine, you can find yourself saying and doing some pretty crazy things, correct? Ever been in in an argument and you're really holding on to what you believe is true and it's about me, mine, and myself, and and you start saying things and you go, I regret it later when you're in a sane mind? That happens all over the place. We know what it's like. That's what Martha was experiencing. Now catch this. Martha gives Jesus an order. And you look at her command. She says, tell her to help me. 
And in her anger and frustration, it's boiled out. And Martha's out of line. Here's the honored guest, the rabbi, and she's commanding him to do things. Luke 10, 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried about and upset about many things. Jesus is so cool. When people are caught up into me, mine, and myself, and they're all upset and they're all boiling over and they're saying these things they shouldn't say, usually what we do is the anger sets off anger in us, and and it's just what Satan wants to do. He wants you to get in a fight. Jesus is far above that. By his spirit, he listens to his spirit. He hears his spirit. He's settled in his spirit. She's boiling over. He kind of lets it all kind of come over here. He steps around in a sense and goes, Martha, Martha. Out of incredible deep love, soothes her. Those words are almost soothing. Martha, Martha. In fact, Jesus has obviously taken communication 101 because he mirrors back almost in a sense. He says, let me see if I heard you. Martha, did I hear you say you're worried and upset? You ever, you know, you ever done that kind of thing? Jesus compassionately listens. He doesn't get angered. He doesn't move out of frustration himself. He doesn't get into fear. Yet he doesn't change his course of action, and he doesn't back down either. Pretty amazing, right? He basically lovingly rebukes and corrects her in tones that are just, I hope, able to be heard. Luke ten forty two says, You are worried and upset about many things, Martha, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The phrase, but only one thing is needed, is really a bit obscure. In fact, there are a number of textual variants in, in, in the text. One is found in the NIV as a footnote. It says, but few things are needed, only one. And that could be the way it is actually translated in Scripture. Commentators are you know, kind of questioned. They're not really quite sure. Is he referring to a spiritual goal like this idea of, of what Mary has chosen as one to be a follower who just listens and who listens with her heart and spirit? Is that what he's saying? Or could he be referring to the fact that one dish would have been plenty to suffice? You know, Martha, if we just had sandwiches, that would be fine. Whatever, we're not entirely positive, but we do know for sure is this. Martha is gently corrected by Jesus. And Mary's choice to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him is the one he affirms. It almost goes against the grain of what we might think. When you think about it, the response that Jesus gives is the one you wouldn't expect. After all, Mary is shirking her responsibilities to help her sister prepare the meal. And in Jesus' culture and most cultures, fixing meals is considered part of a woman's responsibility. I'm not saying it's right, men. But the response that seems most natural would be something like this. Mary, your sister has a lot on her hands. Can't you see? Won't you just get up and help her? I mean, it would mean a great deal to her. And we would all get in the eye, you know, that kind of thing. It really is remarkable that Jesus doesn't encourage Mary to help Martha. And this isn't the first time that Jesus cuts across our cultural expectations, and even his in his day. He, He cuts across... The expectations of what we would think. In that day, the fact that a woman could be a disciple, which in our day is, is a similar thing. He releases women and says, women, you are incredibly gifted. You are called to, to serve and to live and to live out these gifts at all that you have within my revolution. The, the, the work that I've come to bring is something that you're to be a part of, just like these men. 
And then he goes on and he makes this statement, which goes even farther in the sense that he says it cuts across family responsibilities. Here you see Martha saying, come on, Mary, get over and help me. And Jesus stands against that and says, Mary's chosen what's better. In fact, it won't be taken from her. At one point, when he, when he cuts across the culture of family expectations, he tells a would-be follower who wanted to bury his father first, which seems a pretty natural request, right? I want to go bury my father. He tells him to let the dead bury their own dead. That seems harsh. Another wanted to say goodbye to his family, and Jesus talked about the importance of putting one's hand to the plow and not looking back. What do you mean? When you put your hand towards something, don't turn from it. At one point, he promises great blessing to those who have left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom. And you have to ask yourself, why does Jesus seem to say such off the wall things? It's because he's seeking to make, I believe, a memorable imprint upon the minds of his followers who have been raised to think that one's responsibilities to one's family is the priority. He's making a huge statement here. He's putting the allegiance of a person to following him higher than any other allegiance in life. And so Luke chapter 10, verse 42, the last part of it, Jesus says, Mary had chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Here's Luke's point, and this is what I wanted to drive to this morning. Luke records Jesus saying this, Mary You've correctly discerned that listening to me and learning my ways is more important than anything else in life. Catch that. I think what he's saying very clearly is he cuts across this cultural kind of norm. And he says, you know what, Mary, you have chosen something so important. And this idea of listening and hearing the voice of God and hearing him is more important than anything else you could imagine in life. When we think about the spirit life, this idea of hearing God through the, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, talking to our lives as we live our lives is incredibly important. And when you receive it, it won't be taken from you. He's making a great statement when you look at the fact that he positions this after the Good Samaritan and the cultural change that he's um, in radical nature there. And the next thing that he puts is Luke in chapter 11, verse 1. And you know what happens there? It's the disciples. It says Jesus would go away often to a quiet place where he'd pray. And one time when he came back, the disciples came to him and said, teach us to pray like you do. How is it that you, you have this communication and relationship with the Father? How is it you hear the Spirit in such a way that you're able to do the kind of things you're able to do? And so you see how it's positioned there in a very interesting way. Here you come out of the Good Samaritan story. Here's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, being exalted in the sense of her role as what a woman is to be in His kingdom. And then you see the next thing leading into it as He talks about the importance of, of His allegiance and being able to listen and to hear, being one who hears the Word of God and responds of the word of God moving into the story of this idea of prayer where the disciples are saying, how is it that you are able to do the things you're able to do? It must be something with the way that you hear God in your prayer. When it comes to the spirit life in the series that we're about, this is essential. As followers of Jesus, are we willing to be like Mary and willing to sit and to, to have an ear towards the words of Jesus, not just in teaching from the pulpit, but I mean in your daily life. Are you able to hear the word of the Lord through Holy Spirit into your spirit? I, I, when I was preparing this, I remembered this, um, this email that I, I received back when the I-35 bridge collapsed. 
It was sent out by Teen Challenge. The Minnesota Teen Challenge, writes the director, program is thanking God on several fronts for his awesome protection during the bridge collapse on Interstate 35 yesterday. The bridge is located just a mile from our main center and is traveled hundreds of times by many of our students and staff as the main route to the northeast metro area. I heard almost a dozen stories from employees and students who were on the bridge just minutes before it went down, he writes. And I wanted to share a couple of the most powerful miracles. First, he says, Jessica, our admissions supervisor, told me in tears how at six last night she was ready to enter the I-35 bridge over the Mississippi. The Holy Spirit spoke to her very abruptly to turn off the freeway and go a different way home. She obeyed the Holy Spirit, arguing with him all the way. Since she takes the same route every day and her commute home takes almost an hour, detouring from the freeway, not crossing over the bridge, didn't make any sense. But the Holy Spirit was pounding at her heart saying, don't go that way. Shortly after she detoured from the I-35 bridge, the bridge went down. Jessica most likely would have been on that bridge. The second testimony was told to me by dozens of our Teen Challenge students. He writes, every Wednesday night for the past three years, our Buses and vans are loaded, and a caravan of vehicles transport our men over the I-35 bridge to a local church. They leave our buildings at 6 and cross over the bridge at approximately 6.10. As the caravan of vehicles left the building, a staff who, uh, who normally drives the bus stayed back with a group of six students. He called one of the drivers to say that, you know, it might not be best if just tonight we, we don't go over the freeway bridge. Called him out of the blue, had a prompting. Might be best we don't take that route. Instead, they took an alternative route. And when the students arrived at the church and heard what had happened, he said the vast majority got off the bus on their knees and wept. As we go throughout our day, he is saying to Mary, you have chosen what's really good. That there is really a God who speaks to our hearts and our spirits, not for just our sake, but for the sakes of other people. Who speaks to our hearts and spirits in many different ways in which he calls us to do things, sometimes to protect us, sometimes to prepare us for things. He is moving all the time if we listen to his Holy Spirit and he's doing this so that we will grow in him and our character will become like him. And when we listen to the voice and we obey the voice of God, he does something within us that can't be taken away. Because what God is preparing each and every one of us for when we are going to finally breathe our last breath is that our character will be so formed that it will be like Jesus Christ himself so that when we someday stand before him heaven we have formed our character in such a way that he is able to give us all his that he's promised us do you know that your life is not about just enjoying a lot of things it's not about coming to church and getting the music like and i speak to everybody it's not about all these things it is truly about this that we go above that it's about love it's about learning to listen to god it's about allowing god's character to be formed in us so that we learn how to walk and live with one another in ways that please him and honor him and that we learn how to do that with the people that we live with that we go to church to, to that we work with and and where we live in our family that we will listen to the holy spirit and as we listen to the Holy Spirit and honor Him, He does something in us that can never be taken away. Isn't that cool? (laughs) I'm supposed to close. Um, I'm going to ask you four questions. And the first is very simple. Have you ever invited Jesus into your life? 
Have you ever welcomed him into the home of your life and said, here I am? Have you ever said to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, I ask that you would come and you would begin to move in my life, that I would begin to hear you and listen and walk with you? Have you ever done that? That's important. If you've never asked Jesus in your life, you've never come to a place where you acknowledge the fact that you need him, that you recognize that your sins um, are the things that keep you separated from the very things that you want, and you repent of that and you open your heart to him, he comes into your life and he gives you his Holy Spirit so that you can hear the words of Jesus. So the very first step is this, invite Jesus into your life. And some of you need to welcome him to other parts of your life. You, You hold off areas of your life and you don't want the Holy Spirit there. Second, how does the Spirit of God speak to you? You know what? Holy Spirit speaks in many ways, and you need to begin to understand where those places are, and you need to find yourself enough times in those places so you can hear the Holy Spirit. It may be that He speaks to you through a message like this. It may be that He speaks to you through music that you listen to on the radio or, or through just the CDs or whatever you have. It may be that God speaks to you as you walk out in nature and you, you allow the Word of God to begin to penetrate your life and you quiet your spirit to listen to Him. It may be that it happens through singing. It may be that it happens as you spend time in the morning and just get quiet before God. And God, as you read his word, you, he speaks to you. You need to know where the spirit of God speaks to your heart and your spirit. So step two. Begin to listen to the ways that Jesus speaks to you. And where? Let me ask you a third question. Do you take time to listen to the spirit? Do you take time to listen to the Spirit? Are there ever moments that are quiet in your day? This whole idea of Martha when she welcomes Jesus in her home. She's a spiritual woman, but she's distracted. She's pulled away. She's, she's stressed and she's overburdened. She has all these things going on that she doesn't have time to just sit and to listen. Do you ever just take time? Just, and, and you can't take time. You have to actually make time and say, I'm going to spend just even if it's a few minutes to quiet my heart and my spirit to do that. So step three, make time to listen. Have you trained your ear to hear the Spirit like, like that person in Teen Challenge? You know, it takes time to listen. As you make time to listen and you find out those places the Spirit of God listens to you, you begin to recognize His voice. You ever pick up the phone? You meet someone and you pick up the phone and they call you and you've got to wait because you can't tell what, who it is. Right? You ever pick up the phone without looking at a caller ID and you hear the voice and you know immediately who it is? Why is that? because you can become familiar with that voice. It's the same way it is with God. If you really want to hear the voice of God through the the hustle and bustle and all the things that are going on in life, when you are getting distracted and pulled apart and you're not, you have to have time where you listen and you train your ear and you practice to hear the voice of God when it's quiet so that when it becomes loud, you can still hear His voice. It just goes together. And so the fourth thing I would tell you to do is you need to take time consistently on a regular basis to make time to listen and to be quiet, to, to hear the Word of God. And as you hear the Word of God and you hear the Spirit of God speak, there's something distinctly unique about His voice when He begins to speak. And then when you hear it, you go the route He tells you to go. And you follow Him. Even when it doesn't make sense. And when it's crazy. Well, I spoke to moms, and I don't want to put another burden on you, and you kind of go in from here, oh, man, I've got all these kids and this and that. I just want to tell you, 
there are times in your life, I know, when you feel burdens, you feel distracted and all these things going on. That's why I say it's important that in the days of your life that you begin to just listen and say, God, where do you speak to me? And if you can, if it's possible in those kind of times, whether it's when you're carrying the child and you're just putting him to sleep and you're able to listen and, and hear the voice of God, maybe it's through singing, whatever it is, you make time in those, in those spaces in your life to be able to know that one of the most important things that you will ever do is to begin to train your ear to listen to the voice of Jesus as you sit at his feet. I'm going to ask us to, to pray. Father, what a, what a wonderful lesson. You, you, don't, you, you have such an ability to kind of step aside and to call us to a place where we just listen and hear and you, you sometimes call us to see things so differently than the way we think our culture has caused us to understand. And so, God, thank you for that. Thank you for the way that you speak to us. Thank you for the way you're going to speak to people um, throughout this week and throughout the day and tomorrow. And, and, God, how you're going to lead people. I pray may your voice at times bring comfort and encouragement. May it bring correction. Do all that you need to do to form and shape us to be like you, Lord Jesus. Thank you in Christ's name.